You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. This episode is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Named the best podcast of 2018 by Apple. Tons of fascinating guests. Untold stories you won't hear anywhere else. Expand your wisdom and discover other perspectives that you've never considered before with The Jordan Harbinger Show. Join Jordan as he interviews high-profile people as well as intriguing personalities. Each episode features a discussion that might just take you anywhere. I recommend episode 970, where Jordan and guest Annie Jacobson talk nuclear annihilation. How likely is it? How scared should you be? And what comes after? There's also episode 886 with David Farina, which delves into the wacky world of flat earthers. These episodes are great starting points, but you're sure to find deep, interesting, and thought-provoking topics throughout Jordan's catalog. Turn off the music and turn up the wisdom with The Jordan Harbinger Show. We really enjoy this show and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. Truck stops are supposed to be a place for travelers to rest, get some food, and refuel. But sometimes, these desolate places become the stage where horrific acts unfold. Enjoy these five allegedly true stories that will show you that the next truck stop might be the last stop of your life. If you want to be in a video like this, feel free to submit your story at darknessprevails.org. Thank you. The Man at the Truck Stop by Midnight Follower. When I was 16 years old, I lived in a fairly small town. So small, in fact, you could easily walk from one end of the town to another within 30 or 40 minutes. There wasn't much to do on a Saturday night there during the hot summer, and when a close friend of mine called to say a few bands were playing, I jumped at the chance to do something. I quickly got ready and walked to meet her at a gas station across town for some fine truck stop food before the show. During the walk, I had my headphones in, but I couldn't shake the feeling of being watched. I would stop to look around, but no one was there. Once I reached the truck stop, my friend Maggie was already waiting inside. I went inside and told her about the weird feeling I had as we grabbed soda, chips, and hot dogs. As we were grabbing those hot dogs, there was a man standing next to the machine. He was extremely tall and was wearing a hoodie. It struck me as odd. It was summer and an extremely hot one that year. He smiled at us and asked, What are you two doing tonight? You know, whatever we can around here, Maggie replied. 
The man said, Ah, how old are you girls? Sixteen, why? I stupidly asked. Ah, wish you guys were older. Uh, there's a party going on, and I still might be able to get you in if you're interested. Uh, no thanks, Maggie replied. Are you sure? He insisted. You two look pretty hot tonight. He asked in a low voice as he began to walk away. We watched him pay for whatever he had, then he walked out. Feeling a bit creeped out by the guy, we waited around for 10 minutes, then paid for our food and left. As we were walking out of the truck stop entrance, we looked in every direction to make sure the guy was gone, and we didn't see anything. Feeling safe, we began to walk where the bands were playing. The place was packed. We watched the shows and had a good time. And by the time everyone was leaving, the sun was beginning to set and it was getting dark. Maggie decided to stay the night, so we were starting to head back to my place. When we got there, we were getting settled in for the night. I put in a DVD and we were going to sleep with it playing. A few hours later, I heard movement which woke me up. That's when I saw a dark figure standing outside of my window. Whoever they were, they didn't know that I was awake yet, and they were trying to get the screen off of my window. I screamed as loud as I possibly could. Maggie jumped up and huddled close to me, asking me what happened. But then she was just as petrified when she saw the man at the window as well. As I finally snapped out of it, Maggie as well, we sprinted out of the room, nearly running into my mom who was running out of her room, who then proceeded to ask us what was going on. We explained as quick as we could what was happening. We locked ourselves in her room as she dialed the police. The house went creepily silent. It only took about five minutes, but it seemed like a lifetime. That's a bright side of living in such a small town. The cops make it over pretty fast. When the police came by, the guy was gone, leaving behind a massive hole in the screen in my window, as well as a large kitchen knife. Later on, we were packing up to move out of town, and I couldn't be happier. Except just before we left, someone left flowers at my front door with a note that said, I can't wait to see you again. Though we never got a good look at him, based on his height, I'm pretty sure that guy was the same one we saw at the truck stop. Luckily, I never saw him again. I graduated at 17 and moved across the country shortly after. Even though it was about 15 years ago, I still find myself locking my doors and windows every night. And to the man at my window, I never want to see you again. Stranger at the Truck Stop by Shay Before getting into this story, currently where I live, there have been posts on Facebook with people who have claimed to have been approached by people about Bibles and the Word of God. One woman claimed she was approached by a female and asked about the Bible. She declined, but then was followed through four neighboring towns until she finally pulled over into a police station. She watched the vehicle that had followed her pass by slowly, 
she saw the woman in the front seat, and in the back, there were several large men staring at her. This took place only 15 minutes where I live. Turns out, they were human traffickers. With that being said, I'm a 20-year-old female who has been doing late-night shifts for the truck stop I work at. Normally, I'd work mornings and never alone, but we're pretty short-staffed, and I'm one of the bosses, so to speak. So I picked up these shifts until we hired new bodies. Now, I see a lot of different characters here. Drunk girls coming in asking if they can have a smoke. Teenagers yelling at me for not selling them scratch-offs or swisher sweets. You know, the typical gas station kind of stuff. One night, my coworker came in and I was finishing up counting my drawer. I was about to take out the trash after that so I could clock out and leave for the night. I forgot to mention I'm five foot three, so I definitely don't look too intimidating. This guy that came in the day before, I believe he was from Brazil or Cuba, needed my help with an ATM that we have inside. He had a thick accent and was covered in tattoos. I'm describing this because as I'm finishing up my work, the guy comes in and walks up to the counter. He walks up to my coworker and he asked where he could buy some weed. He's staring at both of us and I couldn't help but feel that this was a huge red flag. After not getting an answer, he walks out the front door. I finally finish putting the coins into those little dispensers and go over to all of the trashes and start bagging them up. As I'm tying one of the trash cans, one of the ones outside, he comes over to me. What time are you out? Well, whenever I'm finished taking out the trash. Meet me outside when done. We can smoke and talk. Another red flag. I stared at him and responded. No thanks, I need to get home after work. He replies. You can spare 10 minutes, I'll be outside. So this guy I've only ever seen once before is telling me that I have to make time for him. I roll my eyes and take out a round of trash and go back inside to clock out. I was thinking of going out the emergency exit, but perhaps I was acting irrational. I called my then boyfriend and told him what was happening and he was more paranoid than I was. Neither of us had any idea what to do. I was walking toward the door, and I assumed since I parked my car in front of the store, I could just make a run for it. It would take me all but five seconds to get from the door to the car. So I'm at the door, and I can see him standing outside smoking a cigarette right next to my car. Immediately I thought, how in the world did he know that car was mine? Now I'm in full panic mode. I tell my coworker and he's sketched out too so I waited inside longer and backed up the little trashes we kept at the register so that it would look like I was still busy. I then go outside, and he starts walking the opposite direction towards his car, and I flat out run to mine, unlock it, and lock it as soon as the door opens. I then look over to where the man was. He's standing at a van, and three different guys are climbing out, huge guys wearing the same black jackets, and they're all walking towards me. The guy from before is motioning me with his arm angrily for me to get out of my car. At that point, I couldn't help but notice that one of the guys was carrying a pistol. I was terrified, and I peeled out of the parking lot. 
They climbed back in their van and began to follow me. I was crying. The police station was back the other way and I was afraid to turn around. So I took them down some back roads I knew of. When I finally lost him, I turned around and made my way to the police station, after which a very nice officer followed me home. Luckily, I haven't seen a trace of that guy or his van. Never have I been so scared in my life. Always check your back seat before you drive. Buy the mango. Everything was safer back in the day is something the generations before us always like to seemingly brag about. As if all the evils in the world have only just manifested. My mother recalls on these times as she drives my best friend and I to the King of Prussia Mall after school one day, stressing stranger danger in the buddy system the entire drive there. My friend and I joke around with my mom, saying how nothing bad has ever happened to us, anyone we know or even really in this area. It's actually a pretty great and safe place to live. She lets out a loud laugh that ends with a prolonged sigh and reminds us to not be so naive, that danger lurks everywhere, even in an area as beautiful as ours. Girls, she stared at me with an all too serious look in her eyes. You don't know this, but a man tried to take my friend's life in Valley Forge. What? When? I wondered. My friend Gabrielle and I started stammering over each other. We just had to know more at this point. We were both a bit dark, not to mention our houses are literally on the border of the park itself. As my mom begins the story, Gabrielle and I prepare to laugh at what she might call scary, but we really had no idea that this would end up being our go-to, you want to hear a creepy story, tale. During the 70s on a typical Saturday night, my mom and dad were out partying, drinking, and dancing like their hippie lives depended on it. A friend of theirs was a park ranger for Valley Forge National Historical Park in Pennsylvania, where we live, and part of his pay included housing. That night's party was at their ranger friend's place, a massive stone house from the days of George Washington, with stretches of land before the next ranger's home. Mom and Dad had driven to the party together and met up with their friends, twins, Paul and Sarah. After a few hours of partying, Sarah had begun to nag Paul that she was tired, and it was time for the both of them to drive home. Paul, not wanting the night to end just yet, was able to swindle a ride off of my parents so then Sarah could take the car they shared and drive herself home. My mom recalls that Sarah was a bit annoyed with this, as she wanted a driving companion, but they argued that their homes were all within minutes of the park, so that it was pointless, and that Sarah was just being her typical whiny self. She had a bit of a reputation as being stuck up, and my parents saw no reason as to why someone had to accompany her, so Sarah went off alone. Within the first few moments of leaving the forested area, Sarah realized that she's so low on gas that she wouldn't make it the short drive home. Even more annoyed now, she pulled into a small, dimly lit truck stop that was located next to the park. I always found it odd that a National Historic Park had a random gas station by it, but I guess there are main roads that cut through the park itself, so it was necessary. 
Anyway, while in present day America, only New Jersey and Oregon have gas attendees that pump gas for you. But back then, it was more common than not for gas attendants in every state to do this. So the attendant came out to Sarah's car, fills it up, and makes some idle chit-chat while doing so. As he finishes up, Sarah turns from the attendant to grab cash from her purse, and when she turns back to face him, she notices his expression seems off, just distant, like he doesn't see that she's sitting there, arms outstretched, overflowing with bills. You need to come inside to pay, he says quickly, while closing her hand over the money. What? Sarah's confused. There's no reason why she'd have to go inside to do that. He can just take the money to the register and it's done. He can even keep the freaking change, she thought. You need to come inside to pay, he repeated with a much harsher tone. Now you may be thinking, why didn't she just drive away then? Well, I mentioned earlier that Sarah is a bit stuck up. And well, unfortunately, she's not very smart either. She had a follower type of personality that got her into a lot of trouble all throughout her life. Actually, my parents are no longer friends with her because of her attitude, but on that night, that attitude may have saved her. Sarah cautiously exited the car and made her way to the gas station front doors. The attendant kept uncomfortably close to her. At this point, Sarah has no idea what's going to happen, but of course, the worst possible thoughts were running wild in her mind. The second the attendee and Sarah make it through the doors of the station, he springs into the air and launches himself at her, sending the both of them flying behind the main counter and slamming into the ground. He's a huge guy compared to her small frame and is practically crushing her to the point where she can't make a sound. She can't even pick up her arms or legs to hit him. Listen, listen to me. The attendant gasps through forced breaths. There's a man lying in your back seat. The man sits up and shifts his body so that both himself and Sarah can't be seen through the windows of the store. He then fumbles around the underside of the counter and hits the store's panic button, something to instantly alert the cops that the store is in some sort of trouble. The whole time, Sarah's in a daze. Was there really a man in the car? Why? Were they from the party? What did he want with her? The guy was holding a knife. The attendant explained to me, I had to get you out of there. Within a few minutes, the parking lot was flooded with red and blue lights. Both cops and park rangers alike had showed up, as I'm sure that that was the first and only time that the panic button was ever used. Sarah watched, horrified as the police pulled a man from the back of her car, someone she had never in her life seen before. And in fact, he had a very large knife in his hand. The attendee later told police that while pumping Sarah's gas, he had seen a glint of light and looked into the back of the car to find the man lying down with the knife pulled close to his chest. He stared back at the attendee and smiled. The attendee was afraid that if he said anything, the man would go into a rage, taking Sarah's life right then and there. Afterwards, Sarah and her family were so shaken up, they preferred to just pretend it never happened. After profusely thanking the superhero gas station attendee, of course, 
the backseat psycho was released on bail and ended up fleeing the state. My mother and her friends never found out what became of the guy. I heard this story shortly before turning 16. For a year or so, while being a new driver, I always checked my back seats before getting into my car. It petrified me. I'm 24 now, and I get very uneasy remembering this, especially when I'm on the road. You might think this story sounds familiar to an urban legend, but all legends arise from some sort of truth. So remember, don't get in your car until you've checked the back seat. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Summertime Stalking by Michelle I'm 54 years old, and I've got two kids of my own. Over the decades, I'd say that I've acquired quite a few interesting stories from my youth. Unfortunately, many of these stories are not the friendliest. I grew up in the city of London, Ontario, Canada, from 1963 up to the early 90s. However, if there was anything at all to say about London at the time, it would be that too many life-threatening people lived there. Stalkers, predators, people who would get a jolly out of taking your life. It was a dangerous place, and it was wise to not get too friendly with anyone. Living in a city like that all your life, you're bound to come across one or two of them, and unfortunately, I was no exception. I must have been 16. The year was about 1981. At that time, it was summer, and I started working at a truck stop and diner just a little ways away from London. It was half a mile away from my parents' convenience store and my house. It was a lovely little establishment, as there were home-cooked meals served every day, and my boss was a wonderful lady who worked her butt off although her husband was an absolute abusive knobhead. There were about six or seven of us working there at the time. For a while there, I enjoyed the job. The boss and co-workers were very kind to me. The people who came in to eat seemed to enjoy the service as well, and my parents would often come by to order from me. I only worked at the place for about a week or two. I actually quit, 
due to a boy the same age as me named Elliot. Elliot was a relatively attractive guy, tall, blonde hair, blue eyes, honestly Disney Prince material, if he wasn't such a huge nutcase, but I didn't know that until it was too late. He worked in the truck and bar area of the building. Out of the whole time I worked there, I only talked to him once, and I mean an actual conversation. And I suppose that was all the time he needed to figure out that I was his brand new obsession, which opened up a can of worms that were endlessly dumped on my head for the next three years. You see, during our conversation, it was as if he went into a trance-like state. He started going off about war and morbid topics in the area, and if I'm being completely honest, that was more than enough to convince me to stay away from the guy. Not because he was talking about weird things, but just how quickly and naturally he went on to disgusting topics, staring blankly into nothingness as he described how wicked some of the more disturbing body pictures were, describing some websites he'd found where he could watch supposedly real videos of people being dismembered. I wish I could say that's where the story ended, just me staying far away from this guy. Like most jobs, phone numbers of each one of the staff members were posted on the wall inside the staff room, in case someone needed a shift covered. I guess before I quit, Elliot wrote down my phone number. I say this because before I quit, I began to get strange phone calls from who I assumed at the time was him. Back in the 80s, you couldn't track phone calls since they were landline phones. I was pretty much screwed, and I wasn't even sure if this was something I could tell the cops about. The things he would say on the phone to me are what I can only describe as disturbing. They made my skin crawl. It didn't help that I would get a phone call every time I'd seen him earlier in the day. Even if I may not remember every call word for word, I can certainly remember the way the phone calls would start out. Nearly each one would start out with a man's heavy breathing. Now imagine being home alone, just relaxing after coming back from a day of shopping and picking up a ringing phone, only to hear some deep and heavy breathing. When I was a teenage girl, it was fair to say that it scared me half to death. One of the first instances where it got really creepy was when I was out playing bingo with my folks and a friend of mine. At the time, I was still working at the truck stop my sister's daughter, who I grew up with, was working in my parents' shop that night, and I had told her if anyone called and asked for me, just tell them that I was out, that I'd be back later to get back to them. Our game of bingo went on normally, as normally as bingo in a city full of criminals, alcoholics, and farmers could go. My dad was talking about how stupid bingo was, and my mom didn't really care and just wanted to enjoy herself. My friend and I were holding back the urge to yell back at my dad for yelling at Bingo, and believe it or not, we were having a great time. That was my family for you. As fun as it was, on the drive home, it was unavoidable that we'd have to drive past the area where Elliot lived. I just continued watching our surroundings when, out of nowhere, Elliot appeared on his bike and acted as if he was going to head-on collide with us. All of us knew he was a strange guy, but I did not expect him to endanger himself like that. 
When we got home, my niece explained that Elliot had called a dozen times wanting to talk to me, which I now realize Elliot was riding his bike after having stopped at my house. Long after I quit working at the diner, I was working with one of my friends at a kiosk restaurant in a Walmart that day. One of my coworkers spotted a man hiding in the racks of the ladies' clothing department, which was right across from us, my coworker said. That guy's been staring over here for quite some time now. I was skeptical and a little bit freaked out. I had no clue what she was talking about until I turned to see Elliot himself hiding in the clothing racks of the ladies' wear. I felt straight up like puking. What was worse was that since there were no buses going out of the area of London that I lived in, I had to thumb a ride home. I ended up getting off early after explaining to my manager what was going on. It wasn't a surprise to me when I got yet another one of his calls. His voice sounded different, like he hadn't drank water in days. It was so raspy you could hardly understand him, but nonetheless... I was mad. Miss me. He growled darkly into the phone and began to call me vulgar names. I really didn't care for this guy, but it seemed like he was going to follow me everywhere. It was a week after when I finally lost it on him. I was working in my parents' store and he walked in. I recall him buying a drink for himself. That evening, like every normal phone call I got from him, it started off with that heavy breathing. Before this time, I butted in. Listen, buddy, I know who you are, and I know where you live. Stop calling before I get the cops at your door. Then maybe we can see how you like being harassed. I don't think you could blame me for getting so mad. At that point, it was already publicly known that Elliot was a psycho. He spent most of his time stalking me, until finally, he was caught behind a local pub in downtown London with grenades strapped to his body and intended to set them off on himself inside the pub. Eventually, after he was released for that, he began to shoot up a bunch of low-rent townhouses in the area, aiming to take anyone down with him. And according to records, a baby in a crib got hit and nearly lost its life. A police standoff ensued until Elliot ended himself. Despite the years I was tormented by him as a kid, there is one thing about his passing that makes me a little sad to think about. Nobody attended his funeral. After all these decades, I haven't thought of those three years that much. I moved away to British Columbia, and I haven't been back to Ontario at all since 2003. When my dad passed, I know I grew up in some very stressful situations, but I guess I can call it all a learning experience. Dear Woman by Peter Parker I worked at a truck stop diner for about five years, and I've seen and heard a lot of weird things, I guess that's what happens when you work around a lot of truckers. They tend to get lonely and want to talk a lot and end up sharing a lot of their stories. But oddly enough, at our location, one of the most common stories I heard was about the deer woman. 
Bizarre, right? It's exactly what it sounds like. These truckers all had very similar experiences. They'd be driving on the road. They were getting extremely tired and waiting for a truck stop when they'd see an extremely attractive woman on the side of the road. She'd look the same in every case. Medium length, well-kept black hair and light sky blue eyes. The kind of eyes you could see in the night. She would appear to be hitchhiking, give them a smile as they were about to pass by. She would wave at them. But the last thing they felt compelled to do was to stop. Despite her innocent appearance, all these men shared the same emotion during their experiences, and that was immense fear. Now, some of the guys I talked to didn't look back, but one of them did. As he sped away from the woman, he happened to glance in his side view mirror, and what he saw was no longer a woman. Instead, it was something that stood hunched over like some sort of abomination, with antlers protruding from its head. He was too far away then to see it in detail like before, but it was plenty enough to keep him speeding down the road. I'm not here just to share other people's stories, because I had an experience. I think I saw the dear woman myself. I was just finishing up work at the truck stop one night. The station is open 24-7, but I always get off at around midnight, depending on how much work I have left. That night wasn't so bad. By 12.05, I was walking toward my car near the edge of the woods in the parking lot. When I made it to the door, searching my pocket for my car keys, I eventually looked up, and that's when I saw her. A woman standing at the edge of the forest. She appeared to be staring up at the moon. I was startled at first because I wasn't expecting to see anyone, but then I spoke up. Do you need some help, miss? I asked nervously. She didn't look over at me. Instead, she turned to face the woods and walked into them. And as her lower body came into view, which had been intersecting the top of my car from that perspective, I couldn't breathe. Her legs were deer-like. I couldn't believe what I was looking at. As soon as she disappeared into the woods, I climbed into my car and I drove home. Instead of going to bed like I usually did, I spent a few hours watching TV, trying to clear my mind. I never saw her again. Yet, after that, I hoped I did. Part of me did not believe that what I saw was real, and I needed to prove it to myself. Yet, I never could. So, let me say this. If you ever find yourself at a truck stop on an old lonely highway in Nevada, keep your eyes on the road, even if you feel eyes on you from nowhere. Sure, truck stops are lonely and often eerie places, but they shouldn't be. Just like in the olden days, when taverns were places to tell tales, places to share knowledge and relax for a bit, truck stops are the same. So what makes them so terrifying? Well, when people do have stories to tell, or trauma to share, things are bound to get a little dark. So enjoy those rare and delicious truck stop biscuits and gravy. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. If you want to submit your story for reading on this channel, go to darknessprevails.org. 
you can get some merchandise there too. If you want to support my channel further and get your name in the credits on these videos, go to patreon.com darknessprevails and donate any amount. Thank you. Now, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous video about animated werewolf stories. Nintendo Jones 64 says, 10 creepy cruise stories for bed and breakfast stories. Mmm, the best part of waking up is someone else's eyeballs in your cup. Jose Dominguez says, you know, you're more important than the rub hub. Hey, I could be your rub hub. Who says you can't jerk it to some werewolf stories? Burst says, I wish I was a werewolf. Are you sure? Are you sure that's a good idea? Something tells me you'd be hungry a lot. Virus EXE says, Oh, I love these. They were scary but awesome at the same time. Question, did you draw the animated parts? No, my main man at TV on Twitter drew them. He drew the art for this thumbnail as well, and he usually draws all my art for my thumbnails. Usually. He's a great guy. Black Mage Zero says, I wish I could see a werewolf, but nothing exciting ever happens to me. Well, keep wishing like that, and you'll end up a werewolf turd in no time. Anyways, guys, thanks so much for tuning in to another Darkness Prevails episode. More scary stories are coming soon, so stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my patrons who continue to donate. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one.